Welcome to Bridges 2030 Visions with me, James Taylor. In this series, we ask experts and thought leaders from around the globe, how do we build a more sustainable and inclusive world in this decade and beyond? Today, we're delighted to be joined by James Alexander, the chair of Finance Earth, to talk about one of the most important topics of our time, that's nature and natural capital. Since 1970, there has been an average 69% decline in population of sizes of basically living things on the planet. This is, this is catastrophic decimation of nature on our planet. I, I would say that at the apex, the blocker is a combination of human nature and short-termism. The UK Nature Fund, which will be the first dedicated fund of this type uh, for the UK, is only going to provide about 1% of what nature needs. So we need this to scale up absolutely rapidly. Finance Earth is an organisation that's been set up to try and channel more public and private capital into funding nature-positive solutions. In a previous life, James was the co-founder of Zopa, the original peer-to-peer -peer lender. So with his role at Finance Earth, he's combining his long-held love of nature with this background in innovative finance. We talk about why nature is so important, how badly we as humans are currently damaging it, and most importantly, what we can do over the next decade to try and fix it. James, can we start by talking about why nature is so important? What is the scale and the urgency of the challenge that we face? Great. Thanks, James. Well, I think there's two questions there. Why, why, why do we need to care about nature and why now? The first thing to say about why do we need to care about nature is we are totally dependent on the natural world. So nature matters not only for its own sake, uh, sort of intrinsically, but it, of course, provides the air we breathe, the clean water we drink, the food we eat. And I think it helps us also be more resilient. So, for example, to floods or coastal sea level rise, uh, or frankly, to coping uh, mentally with a pandemic, for example. And nature, of course, stores and sequesters carbon more efficiently than anything else we know. But the truth is that we are currently damaging it so profoundly that many, many of its natural systems are now on the verge of breakdown. And that breakdown is already affecting us all. Many of your uh, listeners uh, will be familiar, I suspect, with Professor Johan Rockstrom of the Stockholm Resilience Centre uh, and his work on planetary boundaries. But one of the things that um, he and, and others did was to rearrange the SDGs into, into three layers, if you like, of a wedding cake. And, and on the bottom of that three-layered wedding cake uh, was, was, was the planet. And it effectively shows a healthy planet uh, providing water, uh, or sorry, water, nature, climate, underpinning a healthy society, and a healthy society as a prerequisite of a healthy economy. And I think that's, that's the right way uh, to think about it, both sort of scientifically and intuitively. And then the second point was, why now? So the situation is urgent. Since 1970, there has been an average 69% decline in population of sizes of basically living things on the planet. If I was to put that into human terms, so if the same had happened to us, that would be like every human living in Europe, uh, America, and Asia, and South America, all dying. 
this is this is catastrophic decimation of nature on our planet. Antonio Gutierrez, uh, UN Secretary General, uh, recently said, humanity is waging a war on nature. This is suicidal. Making peace with nature is the defining task of the 21st century. It must be the top, top priority for everyone everywhere. If, if you're living in the UK, uh, as I know you are, James, you know, when did you last hear a cuckoo? When did you last hear a turtle dove? I was down in Somerset recently into a part of a lovely landscape where there's been a lot of wilding activity going on. There were no insects. Absolutely staggering uh, to me. Second fact, uh, 50%. So the World Economic Forum says about half of uh, the world's GDP is highly or moderately dependent on nature. So it's a key driver uh, of, our, of our economy. And then the third, which may surprise people, show that natural climate solutions, uh, so nature, uh, put another way, can deliver up to 37% of the emission reductions needed by 2030. From a climate perspective, this year, 2023, now an El Nino year, um, is smashing ecosystem records. So carbon concentrations are, are up three parts per million, up to 421 parts per million. You're probably old enough to remember when 350 was once deemed the Earth's safe limit. We're at 421. So even if we stopped emitting now, even if we stopped emitting now, we still got to go down. And uh, whilst there are, is the promise of technological solutions to do that, but the one that is cheapest and most efficient is undoubtedly, uh, undoubtedly nature. Global temperature is already one, one, heading towards one degree C above the 2022 record. Um, ocean temperatures half a degree above historical records. Antarctic ice sheet melting twice as fast as the previous record. And North American wildfires already twice as many and increasing. And so for me, nature matters. And it's really, really, really urgent that we choose to do something about it. There's clearly been more focus on climate over the last decade. Do you think that's been to the exclusion of nature? Are people not talking about biodiversity enough still? Uh, as a generalisation, absolutely, you're correct. I think in the, in the last couple of years, that's changed dramatically. And in fact, for the first time, uh, basically, the, the climate and the nature bits uh, of, of the UN you know, orchestration are starting to work together. In fact, people are now talking about a, you know, a, a, a climate and nature positive world. And I think that's important because there are complex interrelationships that that that, that go on. You know, if we if we lose the Amazon, that's going to destroy one hell of a lot of nature, but it's also going to make one and a half degrees unachievable. So th these things need to be tackled together and need to be tackled systemically. So can you tell us a bit about Finance Earth and, and what you're doing to try and tackle some of these challenges? Yeah, so I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm um, Thank you for asking. I'm, I'm chair at Finance Earth, but uh, all the credit go, goes to the team, uh, but also in particular to the founders, Jamie Mansfield and, and Rich Speak, who, who created Finance Earth in 2016. There's an enormous funding gap to uh, restore nature. Yeah, the gap beyond existing public and philanthropic commitments you know, globally is estimated at about $700 billion per year. Uh, and in the UK, uh, just over $6 billion per year. So those are enormous numbers. And so we need to shift trillions of dollars from financing nature depleting activities uh, towards financing nature positive activities. And we need you know, both private and public capital uh, to scale the, these nature-based solutions 
uh, at, the, at the rate required, not only for protection, but critically for, for restoration. And at the same time, we need to move from small pilot efforts to projects that are restoring landscapes and ecosystems at, at significant scale. And so Finance Earth was set up to, to be a part of that movement of, of channeling institutional capital into helping uh, resolve you know, the nature and climate crisis. We're a regulated uh, advisory and a regulated fund manager. So in, in the advisory world, that's working with uh, clients. It could be large NGOs, so, you know, WWF, RSPB, National Trust, etc., to create the investment cases and to develop, you know, supporting policy and enablers to 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 change work and create investable projects. And on the fund management side, doing that through funds. So just to give you a couple of concrete examples, working with WWF uh, to create sustainable fisheries. And what's really interesting there is when you when you work all of the numbers through all the way back through to the consumer, uh, perhaps buying buying their fish um, in in Walmart or somewhere, the consumer will barely notice. Second one on the fund management side, announced by the UK government at COP twenty seven, Finance Earth and our partners, uh, Federated Hermes, uh, will run the UK Nature Impact Investment Strategy, and that will be a you know, many hundreds of millions of, of pounds of funds. UK government's committed 30 million of, of seed finance into that. And that's there to restore nature uh, in, in the UK, um, but also to prove that return-seeking private capital can deliver high-quality and high-impact finance in, into this space. So this will be money that will be going into real assets, such as peatland uh, restoration, uh, woodland uh, creations, uh, forestation. Um, but also invest into the businesses required to deliver it, because right now, now there isn't the wider ecosystem to enable that to happen. So, for example, if you want to plant trees at scale, there aren't enough tree nurseries in the UK to do it. You're listening to Bridges 2030 Visions, a series about how we accelerate progress towards a more sustainable and inclusive world over the next decade. So what prompted your interest in this space? So I know your background's in innovative finance. Uh, why sustainability and how those two things converge? Uh, let, let's start with the last first. So I, I became a birdwatcher in my, in my teens. Uh, so, so whereas most people are going off to discos and, and, and finding, uh, finding girls or boys, I, I went birdwatching. And uh, during, during university, was very fortunate to go on a a, a trip uh, with Phil Atkinson and, and Nick Pete uh, to a country called Santome and Principe, which is a very small island uh, off the west coast of Africa. And there we were we were really lucky and rediscovered three species of birds that were previously thought by many to be extinct. And, and the reason that those birds uh, had nearly gone extinct was much of that island was cut down, turned into plantation uh, for cocoa. And, and effectively, these these uh, single island endemic species were, were forced out. Later, I, I took a sabbatical and went off and helped my uh, wife, Victoria, work on a nature reserve in the Seychelles uh, on a reed island. And again, just seeing firsthand the challenges that nature was facing. And then, and then lastly, at that time, I uh, became a trustee for the RSPB in the UK. And it was on a um, it was on a walk in, in the Lake District, visiting Hallswater with other RSPB trustees that we stood on a hill uh, overlooking this huge reservoir that provides you know, much of the drinking water for Manchester in the northwest. 
And the RSPB and Cumbria Wildlife Trust were talking about the brilliant work that they've been doing to, to bring nature back, you know, refraining from burning peat, blocking drainage holes, planting native trees uh, in, the, in the right places. And, the, you know, the place was alive with, with nature, nature returning. Um, and it was and it was wonderful. And then a, a chap from the local water utility, United Utilities, got up and he explained how, as a consequence of this, if you like, the land had become a better sponge. Uh, so better water quality, less colour in the water. Um, and so much so that they no longer needed to uh, invest in a new multi-million pound water treatment processing plant. And I remember going and tapping the CFO of the RSPB on the shoulder and saying, so, you know, that all that cost saving that United Utilities are getting, the, the fact that their, you know, daily water treatment processing costs have come down and they no need to long, no, no longer need to make this sort of 50 million pound investment. How much of that have we seen? And he, he looked at me blankly. And, and that, if you like, was the aha moment from, for me, because on the other side of my world, I'd also been an entrepreneur. I co-founded Zopa with Dave Nicholson and Richard Duval, uh, the world's first peer-to-peer lender. And, and I was interested in innovative mechanisms that could actually benefit benefit people, benefit, you know, customers benefit society uh, and, and challenging norms. The work that Rich and Jamie and the team at Finance Earth have done has been to really look hard at how do we unpick uh, some of the business models that are out there and recreate them in a way that can enable investment at scale to go in, you know, to help help restore more nature. But I think it's worth saying whilst, whilst you know, the company has done well, it, it's, it's uh, I'm, I'm going to say it's still a drop in the ocean right now. The UK Nature Fund, which will be the first, uh, when, it, when it launches in, in the autumn, will become the first dedicated fund of this type uh, for the UK, is only going to provide about 1% of what nature needs in the UK over the next decade. So we need this, we need this to scale up absolutely, you know, rapidly. Uh, but the good news is, you know, things are starting to happen at last. So what do you think are the major blockers to scale at the moment and how do we get around them? Um, great, great question. I think at the, at the highest level, I, I would say that at the apex, the blocker is a combination of human nature and short-termism. Like we know in the same way as we do for climate, we know what we are doing to nature. We know the causes of it, you know, changes in land and sea use, overexploitation, uh, of plants and animals, you know, uh, fishing too many fish, increasingly climate change, pollution and invasive alien species are all the things that are decimating nature. So if, if we're the problem, then, then, then what should we do about it? I, I think there's, you know, four key areas. Pace, we are doing too much too slow. So there's loads of good stuff going on, uh, particularly in the UK, things like the Environmental Improvement Plan, the nature recovery markets, all of that is great. But the truth is, it's too slow, it's insufficient, and it's not urgent enough. If, if I could control the world for a day, I would mandate action and, and punish those that are not acting, um, because I think it's it's got to that point. Uh, second area of, of uh, potential change uh, is ambition and, and collaboration. So I think in the nature space, and certainly in the UK, many of the interventions thus far have been small, uh, arguably, in, in scale and ambition, and often not systemic and not joined up. And I think we really need to incentivize and enable scale interventions and collaborations. The third, and I would say this, wouldn't I, uh, given Finance Earth, 
uh, transact. So we need to we need to you know crowd in the capital required to make it happen and secure the necessary investment because this stuff costs. And then lastly, skills. There there is as with climate quite a skills gap in in, in this domain. And I, I saw just yesterday actually that. Uh, LinkedIn put out the stats showing that green jobs made up a third of its job postings in the UK uh, over the last period. So it's coming, but there there aren't necessarily the, the skills fully embedded to, to enable it to happen. And then our standard last question, how optimistic are you that we can do this, that we can save nature in the time that we have? Uh, yeah, I, I was once taught that realistic optimism is is the best frame of mind from which to act. If I'm honest, I think it's going to get a lot, lot worse before it gets better. Um, I sometimes muse on things like the nuclear non-proliferation uh, you know, treaties that, that sort of happened through the through the 70s and beyond, and sort of marvel that that countries said, okay, we're going to choose actively not to do this. And I, I wonder what would happen if, if countries were brave enough to start doing that. I think it's very easy for us to, to, to point fingers. We absolutely need leadership. But at the same time, I don't think we can point at politicians and say, well, it's their fault. I think we all, us as individuals, us as communities, us as society, need to take responsibility and support our leaders in being bolder and being braver and actually mandating what, what is required. For as long as we stay saying, well, look, this is voluntary. And as long as we don't enforce it, and as long as we don't punish people for failing to do it, I'm afraid human nature says many will choose not to. And I think if we want to look after our planet and as a result, ourselves, our society and our businesses, then, then we need to mandate action. You've been listening to Bridges 2030 Visions with me, James Taylor. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, why not like, subscribe, share, download extra episodes, or even leave us a nice five-star review somewhere. Thanks for joining us. 